0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Glad you're here today. Nice, toasty morning. Got to talk. uh, You know, worship is so central to the life of a a follower. And probably one of the best definitions of worship in Scripture is when King David said, I will not worship the Lord my God in a way that does not cost me something. One of the ways you know you've worshiped is it costs you. It costs you, as that song says, you know. Don't you get shy on me. Sometimes it costs you your, your inhibitions. But, but worship should literally cost you something. That's, that's our act of worship. And so in Scripture, we have the way the, the Israelites worshiped the Lord was through tithes and offerings. And sometimes people say, what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? Well, a tithe, I firmly believe, is, is according to Malachi 3, what you bring to the storehouse. You're brought to the temple. you brought to the gathering. But an offering was something beyond that. And um, I think it's really critical as a believer that you get in the habit of tithes and offerings. And uh, what we're going to do in this month is, uh, in coming weeks, we're going to show you some partners of ours that are a part of our offering as a church in supporting other movements, other organizations in our area, and Sherry and I, uh, we, our tithe goes to our church, but our offering goes to a lot of mission organizations. And one of them is BOG. How many of you have served with BOG? Raise your hand. Have you served with BOG? Awesome. Uh, in 2010, because of God's grace, started with serving four families. And today they serve about 2,000 people. Isn't that awesome? Feeding those who are who are at risk for hunger, and um, they are housed in our building, so Jason and Jason and the whole team, their, their offices are, are adjacent to this room right here in their office. You may not have known that, but Southbrook is a partner with BOG to be an agent of of bringing heaven to people just through the simple act of food and what we 're going to do in coming weeks is show you that your generosity makes that happen that you may have not you may have not volunteered with bog but but if you, if you give a tithe and offering to the church, you are a part of feeding people who are at risk for hunger in our area. And you would be shocked right near us how many people are, fit into that category. And we are so glad to be able to partner with Jason and Jason. And I love the journey that uh, Jason Johnson has been very open about his journey. He first came to Southbrook through a court order. He had to serve somewhere. And I still remember when big old six foot seven Jason started serving the, the offering bags and, and things in, in church. And he was there because Judge made him. And here he is today, a part of Jason. Uh, and Jason, they're part of an organization that's just doing so much work of bringing heaven to earth because of God's grace. And we're glad of that. Now, here's what I want you to do I want you to keep that in mind through this message because I'm actually going to come back to why we so believe in the local church that we sacrifice. I mean, many of us here will be poorer our whole lives because of the local church, but we'll be richer our whole lives because of the local church. And I wanna, I wanna show something. For all of you guys, especially that I know that think Jesus is out to just help you cuss a little less, I'm going to blow you away this morning, okay? I am going to blow you away because this passage, we're gonna look just at a few verses in here in Romans 8. Anybody enjoying Romans 8? Is it incredible or what? And we're, I'm going to show you a few verses that uh, I hope makes you really chew on some stuff. Now, to do that, we have to think about a word. The, the, the backdrop of what I'm going to share with you is, is an ancient Roman Greco word that we translate groaning. How many of you have groaned recently? Yeah, we all have, right? Um, I saw this week that the last, uh, the last hamburger and fries... McDonald's hamburger and fries was sold in Denmark in 2009 and they someone has them like in a museum and they still have no mold they still have they're still totally preserved how many of you ate a at McDonald's this week and now you regret it <laughs> that makes you groan. like oh you groan. well there is an author a historical writer by the name of David Fredrickson he pointed out that in the ancient Roman Greco world Thinkers often spoke of the connection between adversity and growth in character. In the ancient world, he said, just like ours, suffering was easier if it could be shared with somebody. Aristotle said suffering is lightened by the sympathy of a friend, which is true. Sometimes, he said, one person might be willing to sacrifice, even die for a friend. And in the Roman Greco world, this was considered noble. But there were limits to your um, sharing suffering with a friend, and one was you only sacrificed for someone who deserved it. You didn't sacrifice for a, a, you know someone who was lame, a loser. You didn't do that, which is the reason why in Romans 5, we saw this a few months ago, many people will die for a righteous person, but very few will die for an unrighteous person, yet God shows his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's set against the backdrop of in Rome. You didn't do that. You didn't help people who didn't deserve it. God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? Well, it's not in the Bible somewhere. And But Rome believed that, as many Americans do. And it was not a virtue to suffer for an unvirtuous person. Another limit was even if you do help somebody, you're not to allow any suffering, not yours, not your friend's, To disturb your tranquility. Now, you'll see in coming weeks why we're focused on this and the title of this series, why it's pertinent. The word that was used for that kind of suffering that they saw as weakness in Roman culture was the word we translate groaning. You groaned if you were so weak in character you allowed circumstances to disturb you. Now, groaning, uh, they believed, is what weak people do. Uh, groaning is something we are very good at as Americans. We're so good at it. I want to hear you do it for just a minute. I want to try groaning together, okay? You ready for this? At the count of three, I want you to groan. Oh, okay? I just want to hear the groan, a collective groan. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, groan. There's some guy back there that didn't do it, and his wife's going, all you do is groan all week, and we go to church, and you can't groan. You can't groan in Jesus' name. When you're disappointed, you, oh. When you just lost out on a job, you, oh. When you ask a really cute person to go out on a date and they ghost you, oh. When you find out the sermon has another 27 minutes, oh, you know. But this is a groaning world. We, we're groaning all the time. You know, we Browns fan. We know groaning, man. We I mean, you know the factory of sadness. We know groaning. But what what you're going to see today is, I hope, I hope you believe this. Because what this groaning world needs, Roman 8 will tell us, is you. What, what God has planned for a world that is groaning is for the children of God to be revealed. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's, that's the sermon in a sentence today. And we learn in Romans 8 that even though we can't understand fully why certain things happen, we can understand some things about the groaning of our world and our role in it. Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if you were this last week, you know the previous verse stops with, just as we suffer with Christ, so we will also glory with Christ. The future is one of glory. For the creation was subjected to frustration. It waits in eager expectation for the children of God, excuse me, messed up here, For the ch- waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Just as when Adam and Eve sinned, and they were cast from the garden, and yet in Genesis 3, they're given a vision of restoration, God subjected the earth with his, through his wrath. He said, earth, you, you asked for that, now you're getting it. Subjected to frustration, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Everything in this world except McDonald's hamburger and fries are subject to decay. Everything is in a state of entropy. Just basic laws of thermodynamics. And brought into the freedom and joy of the children of God. I mean, that is loaded. That is loaded. It says that this creation is nothing close to what it was meant to be. Imagine, imagine those of us who just experienced this pandemic, imagine a virus enters our world and there is no human immunity to it. None. What would that do? I mean, you know, with... With COVID, there was a basic human immunity that you could, many people could get, overcome it, if you, you know, certain conditions. But imagine a virus enters the world. What it would do to the world if there's no immunity? That's sin. It's the virus. There was no human immunity to it. And so it was just creation it was thrown into chaos. It is, it is subjected to groaning, frustration. And this passage says God has a plan with that. And that is to use that as a backdrop to bring redemption, restoration, and the revelation of his children into this world. Here's what I want to do today I'm going to answer three questions Why this world? What's next? And what now? What are we to do now as a result of this? And I hope more than any message I've done recently that you go home and you think about this one all week. We provide questions for you to answer. I think I have four or five questions that you can go onto our website, go on social media and get those questions because this one demands contemplation. First question, why this? Why is our world such a mess? Why is it, why is it, the moral order, the natural order are so chaotic. Why didn't God create a world where there was no decay and no entropy and no tragedy and no suffering and no groaning? Why didn't God do that? Well, he did, (laughs) he did. Genesis chapter one, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It was very good. What was experienced pre-sin was creation as it was meant to be. You think the Swiss Alps are something now. They're a part of a creation that's frustrated. I mean, this, this, this creation was unbelievable in the pre-sin virus state. So if God's not the author of evil, why did it then come? Why did, why did this chaos and this groaning come? Well, there are so many things that, that have been written about this. And I don't want to, to pretend to give a complete apologetic on why there's groaning now, why a world of evil persists, but it is because of love is the simplest answer. Do you know that? First John chapter 4, verse 8, whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. Uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The highest value in the universe is agape love unconditional love. And when God decided to create human beings, he wanted us to experience what? What? Did, what? Were, why were we made? So we would experience love. And what that necessitated was it necessitated choice. We had to be given a choice if we were to love. Love without a choice is not love. That's right. It's just, it's robots. Any of you ever have a little, maybe when your daughter was little and she had a doll with a string on the back and pull that string and And the doll would say, I love you. Did the doll love your daughter? No, it was programmed to do that. There was no choice in the matter. To really experience love, we need to have been able to choose to love or not. And so in order for us to experience love, God gave us a free will. And with this sin virus active, we used our free will to reject God. We used our free will to hurt others, to walk away from God and love. And that resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evil. One is a moral evil. One that causes so much groaning, doesn't it? I was reading this week about the European Union and a charter at the The economic uh, forum that would say that in order for a nation to be part of the economic economic forum, you would have to adopt this charter that accepts pederasty and bestiality and just everything. And I just groaned. Uh, Oh my gosh, what, what is wrong with this world? Are you kidding me? Sexual pleasure for children no matter what age. Are you kidding me? A redefinition of pedophilia. Uh, it's, just, it's just, you groan. And, you know, I was talking about Bog earlier. We, we all see famine and wonder, where's God in that? Do you know that the world produces enough food for every person in the world to have 3,000 calories of food a day? But what do we, greed, greed. Hunger for power, self-centeredness prevents people from using their resources to help feed people who don't have those resources. Look at your hand for just a minute. Look at your hand for just a minute. Think about that hand. You can take those hands and use them to hurt someone. Or you can take those hands and use those to feed someone. That's your choice. And that's one of the reasons why there's moral evil is because we were given free will. We were given the freedom to choose. If C.S. Lewis once said, if God took the free will away of that person with that gun who's going to use it to harm someone, then he would have to take away your free will too. It doesn't, it doesn't comfort us, but it is a reality of love that there had to be free will and there would be moral evil. And then there's natural evil. The Creation is subjected to frustration, wildfires in Hawaii, and earthquakes in Japan, and tornadoes and hurricanes. One author explained, when we humans told God to shove off, he partially honored our request, nature began to revolt, the earth was cursed, genetic breakdown, disease began, pain and death became a part of the human experience. Now again, volumes have been written about. This is the number one question people have about faith, is why is there a world of groaning? Why is there suffering? And so I don't want to pretend to say that that is a complete apologetic for suffering, but I will tell you this. I think most of us would agree that Romans 8.18 is saying something true, isn't it? Something's not right. Something's not right. And we have something to do with it. So what does the New Testament say is next? What is next? God, just like with Adam and Eve, didn't create evil, but he gave the possibility of choice. Adam and Eve chose. They were subjected to frustration, as are we. You know, when God punished them, disciplined them, he didn't, the the, the punishment wasn't work. Some people think that the punishment was yard work. That was the punishment. It really was. They had to tend the garden. And, And now creation, we're frustrated, aren't we? Because it doesn't always cooperate. So what is next? What role does the person who's been redeemed by Christ do? Well, the answer is, God, through Jesus, showed a pattern of the world. And that is, death leads to resurrection. Winter leads to spring. Groaning leads to glory. On the other side of groaning is glory. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, verse 22, overcome by sorrow and grief. Uh, we, you ever see a movie? I, the one I think of with this is remember the movie with Tom Hanks, Road the Perdition*. And the movie was, was was about really family hurt and 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 how that gets manifested. And the whole movie there was rain. The whole movie it rained. And often in literature and we see this in movies, to embody creation is grieving. Creation is in sorrow. Creation is in despair often literary writers and movie makers will just use rain, that creation is crying, awaiting its redemption. And so there is, if you feel, you know, I'm a Christ follower, shouldn't life be easier? No, you live in an existence that is groaning. We know that the whole creation is groaning. We know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, I've never experienced childbirth. But I understand it's pretty tough. Paul's using a, an imagery of Jesus here. John 16, 16, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. Now, I, when, when, uh, when we were giving, when Sherry was giving birth to our kids... <laughs> We took birthing classes. Do they still do birthing classes? They don't do those anymore. And what I remember from birthing classes, you were never to use the word pain. You were to use the word discomfort. And uh, they would say the mom might experience some discomfort, and you're to coach her through the discomfort. And and I was to coach Sherry uh, by telling her to breathe, which she had done her whole life, I think, up to that point. (laughs) But the idea was that there would be no drugs to to be involved, no medication. Uh, There was to be something that you were to coach her in, deep cleansing breaths. And I still don't understand that because uh, the day came, uh, especially with our second one, our son Austin, and she was in labor for hours. And all I remember is her saying, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And... uh, for hours, I stood there massaging her back, encouraged her to have cleansing breaths. I would cleansing breaths, honey, just massaging her back. And my back was aching, and my hands got tired, and, and I never complained, not one time. Sherry, still to this day, has no idea what I went through to give her those cleansing breaths. Um, but uh, sh- but um, she gave birth to an 11-pound, two-ounce boy. And she still remembers that. She still remembers that. But I think it was worth it. 34 years later, she still remembers that. Uh, that that you know, deep cleansing breath is what she remembers. And, uh, and what, what's his point? It's just a vivid image, isn't it? That, that when you've experienced that, that the pain of delivery is exceeded by the joy of life on the other side. And this is so powerful, those of you right now that are groaning with cancer, or groaning with divorce, or groaning with job loss, or groaning with the loss of a loved one. The hope of the gospel is on the other side of groaning, there is glory. Hallelujah. That's right. This is just, I mean, this is why the scriptures constantly talk about patience. Patience. Patient hope, we're going to see here in a minute. Why? It's because when you wait on the third day, it's God's day. Always throughout Scripture, on the third day, it's God's day. You may be living Saturday right now, but Sunday's coming. That's the imagery of Scripture. And so what, what's, what's next? Whatever you're in right now, what's next? Is if you hold on to Christ, glory. That's what's next. That's the promise. Just as he was raised from the dead, so you too will be raised, Scripture says. And that embodies something. Look at this. What now, the contrast here uh, of of what all this accomplishes and the contrast of groaning on glory are the revealing of God through his adopted, glorified daughters and sons, you, you. Now again, for all you guys, I know that I know you've told me you came to Jesus because he needed to stop cussing so much on the golf course. There's more than that. Look at this. We know that the whole creation has been growing us in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, the first fruits was the first of the harvest. So those of us who experience the Holy Spirit, the peace and the joy and the love of the Holy Spirit, it's just a down payment is what that word means. It's just a little tiny glimmer, and we groan inwardly, right? Right? Because we're living in this groaning reality. We don't have our full adoption. We groan as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, now, there's a lot there. One is we wait. The other is sonship. Remember, in that day, the firstborn son had the full rights of inheritance. That's why that term's not a, a, a gender-biased term. It means that, that if you're a guy, you're, you're the bride of Christ. But if you're a girl, you're also one of his sons. You're, you're the firstborn with full rights of inheritance, which is amazing. And the redemption of our bodies. Now that was a strike against Platonism. Platonism has infiltrated the American faith, American Christianity, and it was all over Rome. Platonism said God only cares about the spirit and the soul because the body is evil. And Christianity came along and said, no, God is going to redeem our bodies. We are going to have bodies in the next life that are fully redeemed. Paul gets into this in the text we studied last spring, 1 Corinthians 15. So why do I say all that? In this hope, he says in verse 22, we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now remember, how we use the word hope is, I hope it doesn't snow tonight. Or we say, I hope it does snow tonight if you're, if you're a student. And we, say, we don't have any control over it. But hope in the New Testament was, it's coming And I'm waiting for it. There's no doubt in my mind it's coming. And I'm waiting for that to come. And so hope was used differently. It's waiting for me out there. And I'm going to go get it. And in this case, waiting patiently means an active embracing. While we're groaning, what are we supposed to do? Embracing the Christ, the God who groans with us, glories in us, redeems us, and wants to reveal us. Now let me look. Let me take you through these. The God who groans with us. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, Hebrews says, but is, is able to sympathize with, with us in all our suffering because he was one of us. So this is an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit, when you groan, groans with you. We're going to see this next week. Actually, when you don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit turns your groans into prayers. Isn't that amazing? There's no excuse not to pray. Because even when you don't know what to say, we'll see this next week, He groans with you and translates your groanings. That's amazing. But here it is. He glories in us. In other words, He wants the, 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 the physical picture, He wants to shine on us. He wants to shine on us. He said, you're the light of the world. I'm the light that's going to light you up. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to light us up, glory in us, so that we share his glory with our world. We shine with our world the way he shone in his world, and he has fully bought us back. And then here is what Romans 8 is telling us. He is, he is, he is wanting to reveal us. And someday he's going to reveal us fully restored, fully restored. This is what's amazing when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the bodies we have now are fragile, temporary bodies, but the bodies we're going to have in our full adoption and redemption are immortal bodies. Isn't that amazing? God told me I'm going to be 6'9", I'm going to have a 45-inch vertical jump. Uh, but this, this is, here's, what's, here's what's crazy about the purpose that you can live with if you're a follower of Jesus, that today is the day that he wants to start doing that. He wants to start revealing you that you have a light of glory within you now that he wants to shine throughout your office, throughout your school, throughout your neighborhood, throughout your your world. And this is an amazing purpose the Christ follower takes with themself every single day that I have a down payment of glory in me, I'm gonna let that shine because someday a greater glory is coming that I can't even comprehend. No eye has seen, no ears heard, what God has in store for those who love him. Many of you, if you're parents, could you possibly have foreseen the very real possibility that your children may suffer pain and disappointment, groaning in life. If you're a parent, the worst thing in life is not your pain, is it? What is the worst thing in life? It's watching your kids go through pain, and, and so much so that a lot of us will do everything we can to, to, to get around that, but it's worth it because you know on the other side of some pain, especially, there is this glory that's waiting. I saw a statistic this week that .0267% of kids will become professional athletes, a hundred percent of kids want to be redeemed by Jesus a hundred percent why do we make the church? why do we make this a priority over sports and other stuff why it's because Jesus has a claim on your child, on me, that no matter what pain and disappointment we go through, he's going to redeem that, as we'll see in coming weeks, he's going to work that together for the good so that we might be conformed to the image of his son and thereby bring his glory into this world. That's the plan. Your life has purpose every single day. Every single day. Two quotes on this, one that I used last month, but one that... um, This is a new one from Dr. Tim Keller. There is a glory coming our way. This is a great summary of Romans 8. There is a glory coming our way that will be so blindingly powerful that when it falls upon us, it will envelop the whole created order and glorify it along with us. We will bring nature with us into a renewed, restored, redeemed reality. Our full sonship will be publicly revealed. Evident and acknowledged, and we will be finally and fully conformed to the likeness of his Son. That is what glory is. Do you see how this goes beyond cussing less on the golf course? It may mean you cuss less on the golf course. I don't know. You probably need to cuss less on the golf course. But Jesus has his designs on you way beyond that. That you might grow to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, and as you do that, his glory is brought into a dark groaning world remember these words from a few weeks ago I just can't get over these words from C.S. Lewis he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess a dazzling radiant immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly though of course on a smaller scale his own boundless power and delight and goodness the process. Will be long and in very and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because that's even your boring bill paying life. I'm telling you, there is so much more to it than you think. There is so much more to it that he wants to look at those words again. Look at those words. Pulsating with energy. Anybody here want energy? Resurrection? Yeah. Joy. Anybody want to have, anybody want to have joy? Wisdom. Love. All those things that all of us want. Everybody wants. You can be the most atheist of atheists, and everybody wants energy and joy and wisdom and love. And he is trying to offer that by a relationship with you every day of your life, conform to his image so that you become more like him and thereby share his glory. And this is what the church is. The church is a collection of these lights, you're a city set on a hill. He says, you're where I bring the lights together, and then we shine, and then we go out into this dark, groaning world and say, world, there's hope. There's hope. I was reading this week this, uh, this section in the, the Message Bible from Ephesians 1. This is why, friends, we give our, our minutes, our mojo, and our moolah. Our time, talent, and treasure. This is why we give our lives for Jesus' church. Why? Look at this. Look at these words as defined in Ephesians 1.20. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body glorified, resurrected, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. When you come to Jesus, he adds you to his church. You're part of the bulb collection that you might shine in a world that needs the church to be the children of God. Go now and be God's child. Claim your inheritance. Start living, pulsating with his energy and joy and love and wisdom today and watch how it changes your life you bill-paying machine, you. (laughs) Let me pray, and then Weena's gonna come up, and because we know that there are some of you that are really groaning, and you need help with this today. Let me pray over us, and then Weena's gonna close us and direct us. Lord, thank you for these words that I can't do justice to. I can't do justice to these words. They're pulsating themselves with hope and redemption and glory that shines just as Jesus took his skin off on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James, and John said, whoa, let's stay here. You ask us to let your light shine through us. Your redemptive power shine through us and we show ourselves to the world as the redeemed, glorified children of God. There's so much more you have waiting for each of us. You're not finished with us yet or we wouldn't be here and now go use us and reveal us to Dayton this week and to our world and wherever we go in Jesus' character and name. Everyone said amen. 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 See you next week.